Today on The Verdict with Pastor John Monroe. Now this is a very, very important lesson and I encourage you to concentrate. It may not be the easiest, but we're going to look at one of the great chapters of the New Testament, which is central and which we must understand if we're going to live a life of grace. Here is how to live a victorious life of grace. Welcome to The Verdict, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor John Monroe, Senior Pastor of Calvary Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Today, we're reaching the end of our study on why grace is so amazing. As followers of Christ, having a better understanding of God's grace allows us to better understand our salvation and helps us to live a life of grace, displaying the love and truth of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's Pastor John Monroe with today's lesson. Today, we come to the end of this little series on why grace is so amazing. Many of you have found it very helpful as we've looked at the biblical teaching on this subject and have seen how God's grace is worked out in our life. We've thought of salvation by grace, the security of grace, the assurance of grace, and other dimensions of this supernatural life. Today, as we finalize the series, we think again of the life of grace. Yes, authentic salvation makes a change in our lives. God's grace is always greater than our sin. Grace unites us with Christ in His death, His burial, and His resurrection. And now that we are united with the risen Christ, there's a difference in our lives. Let's continue to think of the life of grace. Now let's look at Romans chapter 6 and deal with the first 14 verses where Paul, I think, presents three steps to living a life of grace. First of all, in the first six verses, Paul wants us to know something, that grace unites us with Christ in His death and resurrection. Romans 6 now, verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self, our old man, was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Grace unites us. Here is something you must know. That grace unites you with Jesus Christ in His death, in His burial, and in His resurrection. Now, this concept of our union with Christ may not be the easiest for us to understand, but I, I want you to concentrate and try and understand this important truth which will revolutionize what you think of yourself and how you live in this life of grace. Union with Christ is so important. Through salvation by grace, Paul is saying, believers are united with Christ in His death, in His burial, and in His resurrection. First, something to know. Secondly, something to consider, verses 7 
through 11 of Romans 6. Something to consider. Grace considers us now dead to sin and alive to God. Have you got that? Grace considers us now dead to sin and alive to God. Verse 7, follow the argument. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, and we have, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Isn't that true? For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So, you also must consider yourselves. Something to consider. You must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Grace considers us now dead to sin and alive to God. This is the second step. It is something to consider, something to reckon, something to count. Originally, this word consider was used in bookkeeping. It's a term used to record and consider something as true, which is in fact true. Christ's resurrection, among other things, demonstrated his victory over sin. Isn't that right? Don't you believe that? We were singing, he's alive. Why do we get so excited about that? Many reasons. He's a living Christ. His victory in resurrection demonstrates he is victorious over sin. Now, here's the point. Now that you and I, in God's grace, are united with Christ in his resurrection, we also have this victory over sin. Consider this as true. Believe this. You and I, saved by God's grace, are on the victory side. You see, Christ not only died for our sins, but he died to sin. Verse 10, notice it. For the death he died, he died to sin. You say, what does that mean? Most of us are quite familiar, I think, with the concept of Christ dying for our sins. Christ died for sin. That's freedom from sin's guilt. Christ died to sin. That's freedom from the power of sin in my life. Now here is the point. Because Christ died to sin, and because you are united with Christ, you too have died to sin. You too can have the victory over sin. Consider this and believe it. Look back at verse 2. How can we who died to sin? Same expression as in verse 10. Christ died to sin, but we have died to sin. That is, my union with Christ results in being set free from the power of sin and made alive to God. That not only are my sins forgiven, they're blotted all out, God remembers them no more, that now I have the victory over sin because of my union with Christ, and my Christ conquered sin, he died to sin. That is, he broke the power of sin 
when he died to sin. And through your union with Christ, you too have died to sin in the sense that the power, the tyranny, the dominion of sin over you, over your life has been broken. You say, well, I still feel the pressure of sin. Of course you do. Oh, sin is still alive. Sin is not eradicated in the life of the believer, but sin, here's the point, sin's power over us is broken. Those saved by God's grace no longer live in the realm of sin. We have changed kingdoms. There is a change of powers. We have changed sides. Now, says Paul, consider this as true in your life. Let me illustrate it in this way. Imagine if I came urging all of you to go back to the reign and rule of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. After questioning my sanity, you would say something like this. We can't go back to Britain's monarch. You would remind me that some years ago, you won the war of independence, that you are on the winning side, and that you're now under a different rule, a different authority. You would say a better power, American power, and to go back to the old reign and the old rule, and in a sense, the old slavery is inconceivable. Do you get the point? When sin, as it does, and tries to take over your life, it's very insistent, isn't it? It flies into your life quite frequently, doesn't it? And its demands seem to be very insatiable. And it perhaps even tells you that you can't get rid of it, that it is the master. What are you to say? You, just, you are to say, praise God, to sin. You are no longer my king. You are no longer my master. It's inconceivable that I would go back to the tyranny of sin. Now I am united with Christ. I can never go back and live under the reign and the rule and the, the bondage and the slavery of sin. Why would I do that when I've experienced the freedom of the life of Christ and the life of grace as I live in the newness of life? I find that a lot of Christians haven't understood this. Let me tell you, sin is no longer your master. Christ has freed you from the power of sin. Believe it. It is true. If you choose, you can go back to the old sinful life. And some of you are right there today. You can go back to the pride, to the greed, to the selfishness, to the drugs, to the booze, to the immorality, to the lust, to the anger, to the bitterness of sin. And you know too well the havoc that has caused in your life and in the life of others close to you. But you are freed from sin. Therefore, don't go on living as if you are still under the mastery, under the tyranny of sin. The power of sin in your life, we could say, has been unplugged. Why on earth would you plug it back in? It's inconceivable that you would go back living in sin. On the cross, our Lord Jesus Christ won the battle, won the war of independence. And in his grace, we are on the victory side. Now, says Paul, live the life of grace, the life of freedom, not 
of sin. Sin's reign as a tyrant king, and it is a tyrant, isn't it, has ended in the Christian life. Sin is not eradicated, no. We have died to sin, but sin has not died to us. It's still there. But by faith, consider that you are truly dead to sin and alive to God. Believe it. Act on it. Don't go back to the old life. Don't go back to sin and guilt and shame and bondage and slavery. It was January 1st, 1863, when President Abraham Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation to end slavery in this country. But it was not until December 18, 1865, that the Constitution made those convictions official. With the adoption of the 13th Amendment of the United States Constitution, slavery was legally abolished. It was then that slaves all across this country were officially set free. However, the vast majority of the slaves in the South who were legally freed continued to live on as slaves. Why was that? Most of them went on living as though nothing had happened. In the context of hard-earned freedom, many slaves chose to remain a slave. And of course, that's the way that many of the plantation owners wanted. They maintained the age-old philosophy, keep him ignorant and you keep him in the fields. How tragic. People were free, but many still thought of themselves as slaves and acted as if they were slaves. And that's exactly what sin, like the old plantation master, wants you to be. Sin wants you to think that it still is the master. Sin wants you to think that it's so strong that you will never ever escape from its power and its tyranny. But brother, sister, you are free. You are free in Christ. Paul says in Galatians, that wonderful epistle of Christian freedom, for freedom Christ set us free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Brother, sister, you know what it was before you came to Christ. You know what it is to be a slave to sin. Try as you might, you couldn't free yourself from its insatiable demands, from its insistent voices and how it destroyed you. Ah, but now, through grace, you're delivered. You're united with Christ. Don't go back. Don't go back to the old slavery of sin. Live a life of grace. Something to know? Know that you're united with Christ. Something to consider? Consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God. Finally, something to present. Verses 12, 13, and 14. Grace presents our bodies not to sin, but to God. This is the response that God wants you to do. As you know of your union with Christ, as you consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God, now, as a decisive act of worship, present your bodies not to sin, but to God. Chapter 6, verse 12. 
Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. Do you hear this, men? Don't let sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey their passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under what? Grace. Verse 14. Sin will have no dominion over you since you're not under law, but under grace. Something to know, something to consider, now something to present. This third step, I am to present, I'm to yield, I'm to offer myself, my body to God. This is similar to Romans 12 verses 1 and 2 that Paul's later going to expound where present is also used. To present here in this context is to put something at the disposal of another. First the negative, verse 13, don't go on presenting the members of your body to sin. The picture is of the soldier presenting his weapons to the commander and awaiting his instructions. Here they are, sir. Here I am. Here's my weapons. Here's my expertise. What's your command? I'm totally at your disposal. Don't do that to sin. Sin uses the members of our body to wage war against it. Why would you keep on feeding that voracious appetite of sin? The more you feed it, the more it wants, and the bigger it gets, and the more it takes over your life. Don't keep feeding sin. For example, your tongue can be used to lie. Lord, I present my tongue to speak truth, to sing your praises. Our hands can be used to hurt someone or to steal. Here are my hands, Lord, at your disposal. My mind can be used to lust or to scheme or think evil thoughts against people, or they can be renewed. My mind can be renewed by the Word of God so that my mind, my thinking, my worldview is dedicated to God. This presenting then is a deliberate and conscious decision. Don't present your members to sin. Some of you have been doing that this past week, haven't you? Verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. Stop obeying your passions. Stop obeying your old master of sin. Stop following the instructions of your old master. He's going to destroy your life. Why do you keep listening to him? Why do you keep obeying him when you've now changed sides is the point? No, the positive. The end of verse 13, but present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. This is a radical and decisive break from the past 
a deliberate presenting of yourself as a living sacrifice to God. I'm going to ask you to do that. Why? Sin is no longer your master, verse 14. We're under the reign of grace, and God in His grace enables us to have the victory through the indwelling Spirit. Grace breaks the dominion, the tyranny of sin in our lives. Oh, Jesus Christ, grow thou in me and all things else recede. My heart be daily nearer thee. From sin be daily, daily freed. The power, the reign of sin in the Christian's life has been broken. Stop seeing yourself as someone who has to sin. Stop choosing sin. Stop obeying sin. Stop saying, well, I have this addiction. This is how things will always be in my life. That's the language of a defeatist person. That's the language of a slave. You've been freed. You have a new master who created you not to hand over your body to sin, but to present everything you are and have to be used for the glory of God. For sin will have no dominion over you, verse 14, since you're not under law but under grace. Chuck Swindoll writes, candidly, I know of nothing that has the power to change us from within like the freedom that comes through grace. That's it. Are you living a life of grace, a life of true freedom? To be truly free is to fulfill God's purposes for you. And the only way to be truly free is to live this life of grace. Sin is a very, very harsh tyrant in your life. Remember that Christ not only died for your sins, he has conquered sin, he's conquered the devil, he's bruised them under his feet, and he gives to those of us who in his grace are united to him, he gives us a victorious life of grace. Freedom is not found in captivity to sin. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. This is the freedom of the life of grace. Free, free at last. And some of you brothers and sisters for many, many years, although you have been saved by God's grace, you have not entered into the reality of the freedom of grace. Today I say, are you united with Christ in his victory? Will you come to stand here and say, oh Lord, I present myself, not to sin, but to my God and my Savior, Jesus Christ. Presenting yourself not to sin, but to God. This is true freedom. This is the life of grace. This is The Verdict with Pastor John Monroe and a lesson titled, The Life of Grace. Today's message concludes our series on the subject of why grace is so amazing. But in case you missed any part of our study, let me direct you to visit our website and listen online. It's easy. Just go to theverdict.org. And if you've been struggling with your own questions about faith, like whether or not you can lose your salvation or how you can be certain about what you believe, you'll want a copy of John's free booklet titled Eternal Security, Finding Certainty in a Chaotic World. Request your free copy of this special resource today by visiting our website at theverdict.org. And if you're a regular listener of The Verdict, we want to thank you for joining us. We hope the teaching and resources have blessed you. And we want to invite you to help us reach new listeners during this special time of year by supporting The Verdict with a financial gift. Your generous contributions at the end of the year will help us continue broadcasting the truth of God's Word to your neighbors, your community, and all around the world in 2024. To partner with us today, just go to theverdict.org. 
or call us at 833-551-2231. And don't forget to subscribe to The Verdict Podcast, featuring John's weekly podcast exclusive called Avizandum. You'll find us on your podcast app listed as The Verdict with Pastor John Monroe. Now, here's John. Well, what's your verdict? On this last broadcast of this series on why grace is so amazing, my prayer is that everyone listening has truly been saved by grace. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So all of the work of salvation has been accomplished in and through our Lord Jesus Christ. Receive as a gift of grace His eternal life. Place your trust in Him today. Thanks for joining us today on The Verdict. I'm Michelle Davies. Today's program with Pastor John Monroe was produced and sponsored by Calvary Church in Charlotte, North Carolina.